Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Thursday Buckeye Talk. Trying something new, Doug Lemarie's Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Buckeye Talk, true or false? Stumbled upon this, sent out a call for questions to the tech subscribers, 614 350 3315. And the tech subscribers always amaze us. I sent it out. I left my computer. I came back like five minutes later and we can go into our text uh, dashboard and it hadn't refreshed. And I thought to myself, I hope we have 20 questions at least. And then I clicked it to refresh and we had 150 in five minutes. And then like 10 minutes later, we had 250 total. So I picked 20 true or false Mostly about Ohio State football, some sort of relating to things around Ohio State football, one about food. And Stephen and Nathan and I are each going to give our true-false answer, and then I sent it all back out to the texters as a survey. So we'll have the true-false from the texters. And I think, Nathan, you said if we did this just true, false, false, true, like if we did it like a standardized test, we could do 250 in like an hour and a half. It's going to be short answer not fill in the dot, but hopefully the true false thing will help us move through this a little bit. Yeah. We could set a new standard for rapid fire and just be, it would be, <laughs> that would be some really compelling podcasting, right? You just jump in in the middle, true, false. Yeah. Oh, what was question 189 again? Steven said that was false. And Nathan said it was true. What was the question? The standardized tests, man. Hi, hi, hi. My, my daughter is a senior in high school is like, it's still in the midst of all that stuff. What a world. filling in bubbles. My gosh. Sometimes when you get to be an adult, there's a lot of crap to being an adult. Buckeye talk. You know, my mom always said that. My mom was always like, being an adult stinks. Who wants to be an adult? And a lot, I mean, you got to do all kinds of stuff. You got to have a job. You're responsible for things. But some of the stuff you had to do as a kid. Oh my gosh. Standardized tests for real. Woo. Did you ever have to do one for a uh, job interview? Not that I know of. I had to do uh, one for a job I was trying to get. Fill it in circles? Fill it in circles? Doing like a, like a personality assessment that was like, and it took like two hours out of the, the day I was there for the job, which I did not get. 
Well, let me tell you, if I had needed a personality assessment to get hired at Cleveland.com, I wouldn't be here. So it's pretty clear that I was not required to take to fill in any bubbles for this job. What's that? Oh, sorry. We we haven't started yet. Sorry. True. Oh, it just it's not a game show. It's not buzz in before (laughs) the Buckeyes buzz false. Um. I still have the game show idea too, by the way, I'm telling you this, my dream, that's not actually, actually my dream. I would like to do it. This version of Buckeye talk family feud that I have that you ask questions that don't have a right answer, but it's an opinion question, right? If you had the ball fourth and one at the one yard line, what Ohio state running back would you want to give the ball to? Right. And then we send that out to the texters and the texters answer it. And then we say top seven answers on the board. And then we go to sports bars around the state and we get two teams of five and we play Buckeye Talk Family Feud with those kinds of questions. Right. Where it's not, it's like, you know, show me Archie. Ding. Number two, Archie Griffin, 31. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing. It's like, oh, oh, they didn't get number seven. Number seven. Ding. Pete Johnson, Pete Johnson, right? I mean, that's that's on my list of off-season things, mostly because I just want to be a game show host and have a skinny microphone. Oh, come into a sports bar near you. Okay, here go we go. To, go to every Chili's in the state for free. Oh, my God. Oh, it's like, yeah, I'll drive. I drove three and a half hours to be here, but I got free uh, Southwest egg rolls for showing up. It's like, Doug, you spent $31 in gas to get an $8.99 appetizer for free, but I'd be so happy. Here we go. Buckeye talk, true or false? Number one, the right side of the Ohio State offensive line is currently better than the left side. So this is a comparison of right tackle Dewan Jones and right, ta- uh, right guard Paris Johnson Jr. to left tackle Nicholas Petit-Frere and left guard Thayer Munford. Nathan, true or false, right side better than the left side? I will say false. Stephen, what would you say? True. And it's solely based on the fact that there's a part of me that thinks Paris Johnson has taken the guard a little easier than Thayer. So Nathan says true. No, I said false. Nathan says false. See, this is already a problem. I'm trying to write stuff down. (laughs) There's only two answers that I can't keep it straight. Nathan says false. Steven says true. The texters say true. 72% true. They think the right side is better than the left side. The left side had a rough game against Penn State. There were a couple times when, and I was talking to Landis about this. I like talking football with Landis. So some of this, some of this, he helped me talk this out. There were definitely a couple of times and Herbie again was pointing out during the game where it felt like Thayer Munford was sort of letting, I think at least twice, he sort of let the defensive lineman go like he was trying to get to the second level, but it looked like maybe he thought he was going to have a combo block that a lot of times you have the tackle and the guard are on a guy at the same time. And then one of those guys is preparing to leave that guy and go get a linebacker. And it looked like Thayer Munford, maybe a couple of times, left the defensive tackle because he was going to get a linebacker because he thought Petit Frere would have a combo block with him, and he didn't. And then you watch it, and it's like Petit Frere's blocking the same guy the tight end is. And it's like, okay, I don't think they plan to have the tight end and the tackle on the same guy. 
something got screwed up here. I also did think on the right side at the goal line, some of the issues, it felt like maybe Dewan Jones had a misread. It's hard to tell on some of the blocks. The bottom line is nobody on the offensive line graded out. Nathan, I don't think before the Penn State game, people would have said this necessarily, right? Because Dewan Jones was playing at a high level. We all think Paris is super talented, but I don't think anybody had real questions about NPF and Thayer. So I think you would have had the perception going into the year, NPF and Thayer are better. And I don't know that even if you thought Dewan and Paris were playing really good, I don't know that you would have been shaken from that. I think people got a little shaken by NPF having his worst game against Penn State. I understand that. And I would say that the left side of the line, but maybe the whole line in general, because obviously Luke Whipler had some issues too, did not have its best game against Penn State. But we've talked about why, because Penn State was throwing some new and complicated things at them that they had to react to in real time. And to me, it's just not wanting to maybe overreact to one game. Like I, I would revisit this question next week. Like after, like, you know, does it look the same? Does do those issues still look like they're there a couple games from now? Or was this just a one game thing where because of the way Penn state was attacking them, these issues came up. Yeah. I would say I'm going to say false also, but it's close, right? I, it's, I, it's close. And Stephen, you might you said true, but it's, I think you probably it's still close. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's not. Oh yeah, true. Paris Johnson is so yeah. much better than there. It's it's. If I give it anything, it's more giving the nod to Paris in the run game. I think he's been better there, um, not just in the Penn State game, but just in some other games as well. But then also, you know, your best ability is availability, and. Paris has been dealing with some injuries, but he's still been playing through a lot of those while Thayer's had to miss some time. Yeah. No, I think this is still a really good offensive line across the board. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing to try to think about it left and right. That was a good, good question to kick us off. All right. Some other topics coming down the line, Al Washington, Corey Dennis, Quinn Ewers, Chris Olave, Ohio state as a national power, Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin. Some of the topics we're going to cover with the other 20 true or false. Number two, Al Washington will be on staff next year. True or false, Stephen? Next year, true. Nathan? I'll say true also. So the hard thing about this is the texters also say true. 68% to 32% true. So we know he had an offer this offseason from Tennessee. He definitely thought about it. He's talked about that to go be a defensive coordinator. It's, it's always one of those things of, well, like then the defense has had a little bit of a rough time. So would he be more likely to leave? What if Ohio State had the best defense in the country? Would he be more likely to leave? They've had a couple of struggles. The linebackers haven't played great. Does that make him more likely or less likely to leave, right? That are people going to be knocking down Al Washington's door based on the linebacker play this year? I don't know. But also if somebody does knock on the door, Ohio State fought really hard to keep him last offseason. Would they fight as hard to keep him this offseason? Right? I mean, I don't – all this stuff gets factored in. I think this is, a, this is a really interesting question. There's no – right? We, we don't know. There's, there's – I don't know, Nathan, that there's a way that, like, I'm not sure what the piece of data is or the, the reading between the lines that you could seize on to make you feel very strongly about your answer here. Well it- – Obviously, if someone asked us about Kerry Combs, we'd all answer no. We'd all answer false. He won't be on the staff next year. I think if someone were to ask us about Kevin Wilson, I would even be more inclined to say false because I feel like the drive for him to 
get another head coaching job is probably that strong. Whereas with Al Washington, he had the opportunity right in front of him for a reportedly a lucrative amount of money, at least relative to what he makes at Ohio State, which is also lucrative in most people's minds. But and he didn't take it. So that makes me think that he's waiting for a particular opportunity, he's waiting for a better opportunity than that. He's not just going to take any job to any lateral. Well, it wouldn't be lateral. It'd be a D.C. job. But you know what I'm saying, that I think he, he's going to be he's going to be specific about it. And they do have this potential special situation coming in with the linebackers that maybe he wants to at least see get started. I think that also, matters. Steven, do you think that matters? With the with the with CJ, with CJ? Group, yeah, that definitely matters. In. You you want to see that through because that's I mean, that's his first big time recruit. And I, I I'm saying that knowing that Reed Carico and Cody Simon were top 100 recruit recruits. But I mean, this kid. I don't know if that uh, this kid might be a starter by the end of next year or, or, or something like that. I mean, he's that good. It's that. But then also to Nathan's point of he's trying to move up, you know, he's trying to move up the ladder a little bit. These linebackers haven't played well enough for him to get that offer. That's that's that next step, even if it is a D.C. job, no matter where he goes. Yeah, to turn, down a, co- uh, to turn down a coordinator job in the SEC. Right. Like, would he get a better offer than that now? Well, I was about to say, number one, I don't know that like this year's linebacker situation will like hinder him that much in this next offseason's job search. If you like, you know what I mean? Like, because he also gets to say, hey, I took a guy who was a running back in the spring and made him our best linebacker. He gets to, there, there. There are positives here as much as there are still some issues in that linebacker room. But I also think I was going to say it all also depends on just what's open in the cycle. And like there are some like places that are, have coaching turnover right now that it would be hard to turn down, such as getting on the staff at LSU as a coordinator, such as getting on the staff at USC as a coordinator. And I have no reason to think that Al Washington would be connected to any of those. But if those level of places reach out to you, then that probably changes the math a little bit. And you never know. We, we don't know who he who he's tight with right. in the coaching profession. I mean, again, just whatever. Say James Franklin takes the USC job and James Franklin's like, man, Al Washington, I've watched you coach in the Big Ten. I think you're awesome. You know, my linebacker's coach from Penn State's not coming with me because he's staying there or whatever. I'd love to have you come be the co-defensive coordinator at USC, right? I'm just saying, like, we don't know the particulars. Personal relationships matter. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't. what if Jeff Halfley, right, goes from BC? Jeff Halfley gets the Florida job, and Jeff Halfley – Al Washington and Jeff Halfley know each other a little bit. Halfley gets the Florida job. Halfley says, Al, come be my defensive coordinator at Florida. Then it's, it, you know what I mean? Like, we don't know. So there's there's room for that personal stuff. But based on what's, what's unfolded, I'll also say true. He'll be on the staff next year. That's unanimous for truths. Number three, the Ohio State defense will be a championship caliber defense next year in 2022. I don't think that doesn't mean they have to win a national championship, but it's, it's it can be a leading reason, right? Better defense than this year, championship level. Steven, true or false? Next year's defense. True. Nathan? True because it's a sliding scale of what a championship defense is. Georgia needs a better defense to win a national championship than LSU and Alabama did the last two years. Well, but I don't know that that's what they mean by the question. Because like, if Ohio State wins the if Ohio State wins the national championship this year, they won the national championship. But I don't know that we would call it a championship style defense. I think championship level defense is a fill in for like top five. You can win top games seven, with your defense. That you win because of your defense, right? Yeah. yeah. 
like so so will they win big time games because of their defense next year that it's not just good enough not to hurt you but that it can be a leading thing i mean i do think when you think about year two of sawyer and jt and denzel burke and josh proctor's back and now jordan hancock and jacalyn johnson and some guys like that are coming along and a little more experience for cody simon and year two of Tyleek Williams. That's like Steven, all that, right? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of first year guys who are already doing stuff that by next year might be borderline all American candidates, right? Yeah, that's, it's based on, I mean, they're playing so many young guys who are very talented and are also going to know what they're doing from the opening snap next year. And then Ohio State's showing they're not afraid to play more young guys if necessary. So, yeah, the further we get with all, the further we get away from 2018 guys playing, the better I feel about this defense at this point. And when you think about, Nathan, the guys that this defense will lose, I'm not sure that uh, who's irreplaceable and uh, irreplaceable that who is difficult to replace Haskell Garrett. Haskell Garrett is difficult to replace. Um, I think while we talk so much about Zach Harrison and Tyree Smith, not getting to that, like crazy level of play, they might be guys that you appreciate after they're gone in a way because of um, if, especially I think there's, there's a, there's a, there's a way in which those guys play pretty, pretty well and pretty steadily down the stretch for this team. We saw kind of the first step of that, I thought, against Penn State. So because it's because they do rotate those defensive line spots a lot. You know what I mean? So when they have equal talent, yeah. But if there's guys who are clearly better than everybody else, they're not rotating anything. Those guys are just going to play. Tyreek and Zach are good. I think it's possible that if you're playing Jack and JT next year, that they're just as good or better. Mm-hmm. Yes, but they won't have Jack and JT behind them. They'll have Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste behind them, whereas now they're the guys behind. I just think that, that it, it's possible that the defensive end group is – maybe it's just as good. Maybe it's just as good next year. I think I'll take the two. I'll take the two potential top ten picks over you know, the depth any day, honestly. I mean, well, and, but, and they'll play but, those guys 75% of the snaps if they have to. Joey Bosa yeah. wasn't coming off the field all that much. Nope. He was a sophomore All-American. I, I think, I mean, you're looking for, at defensive end at Ohio State, you're looking for special. Zach and Tyreek are really good. Zach has been very good the whole time. Tyreek has battled the injuries. Tyreek was excellent. As we said, I'm not sure they beat Penn State without Tyreek playing the game he played. That was awesome. But I think it's possible that JT and Jack are just each getting 12 sacks right that that maybe that's maybe that's wrong maybe because there's no guarantee maybe maybe they'll just not just be maybe they'll be good but not super super special maybe we don't know but i think it is a decent chance that there's no drop off at defensive end and i also think that even with haskell as good of a player as haskell is ty hamilton tyler williams you know, like I, I think they'll be okay there. And then there's other spots that, that might be better. Right. And Steven, I, like Hancock and Johnson and some of these guys at corner, I think there's a chance that corners better next year. And again, that's not a shot at seven banks and cam Brown, but there's always good players at Ohio state. It's a matter of who's special. And I don't know that there's special, special guys that they'd be losing off this defense. Those two are interesting just because they showed up in the summer. So, and then Denzel 
Burke was just playing his butt off for nine months by the time they got here. So, yeah, I I, I don't know if both because it's corner and it's always weird, but I'll bank on one of those guys being good enough that they're in the rotation and they're pretty sound at corner, especially if, I mean. Well, one of them's going to have to start. One of them's going to have to start. Cam, well, Cam, Cam, Cam Brown will be back. Cam Brown will be back. But you you, to your point, to your point, yes, I assume that the starting corners next year will both be sophomores. Yeah, I assume that too. All right, so I'm going to say true. I'm going to say true. That's a unanimous true that we think it could be championship level defense next year. It's kind of what we're talking about the whole time. Again, it's that you know they're they're building to something here, and they we've talked about of the little bit of the dip they're in for various reasons. My God, they changed the defensive play caller in the middle of the year. They should have that settled down next year. I mean, there's lots of reasons that next year's defense should be better. Question four, a loss to Oregon is a better loss than a loss to Texas A&M. This is obviously a playoff committee question about Alabama's loss compared to Ohio State's loss. What's What's a better loss, Nathan, to Oregon at home without Kayvon Thibodeau or to Texas A&M on the road? Uh, I mean, I think they're pretty equal really so i guess i would say false what's a better loss is is a loss to oregon a better loss than the loss to texas a&m steven true because Thibodeau didn't play yes but they've had a lot of different stuff be in and out of that you know that lineup oregon has all season and they're still you know top five of the playoff rankings right now so the texters of source of course said true 85 percent said true I probably also will say true just based on Texas A&M is really inconsistent. It's really hard to evaluate this, the best of a team versus who they are most of the time. I do think Oregon's been underrated by people. I think people are think that Oregon stinks and Oregon does not stink. They've had some weird stuff happen. So I actually think Oregon is more talented and a better team than most people think. And then when they reflect in the ratings that Oregon's four and Texas A&M is 14 or whatever, I mean, I, I'll, I'll buy that. Now, Texas A&M has some really, really, really talented dudes, but they also lost to Arkansas and Mississippi State. So I, I know what people are getting at there. I think the bottom line is the thing in the end is that it's not exactly about who has the better loss. It's more about who you've beaten. And that's always been the case with the committee. We, we talk a lot about best loss, and it's actually about the, your collection of best wins that matters most. But in that loss thing, I'll buy the truth. All right, number five. I, I want to say real quick, I think if you swapped Oregon and Texas A&M's record or schedules, we wouldn't those teams have, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, Texas A&M has been inconsistent, but they've been inconsistent against a better schedule than Oregon's had. But play. that's like, I think that's crap. Mississippi State and Arkansas are not are great. Not good. Well, like, yeah. why, they're better than a lot they're... of the teams that Oregon has to play. Are they better than UCLA? Yeah, you UCLA beat one team. We're, we're talking, how about like, let's look Fresno at Fresno State. But look at who, look at who Bama's played. I mean, look at, I mean, the Texas, there's plenty of crappy teams in the SEC. I don't want to have this conversation. There's plenty of lousy teams in the SEC. Like, why are we impressed with Arkansas? Like, it's a circular logic. I mean, I get it. But our, Oregon has a couple decent wins, too. Like, Oregon's, okay. so Oregon and Texas a and each have a better win. Who are Texas A&M's best two wins Be after Bama? Oregon's best two wins after Ohio State or Fresno State, who's ranked. And UCLA, I'm not sure Texas A&M's two best wins are better than any than those two best uh, wins. Uh, let's see. Let's find out. As my computer continues to move slowly today, they're yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, their best win is. I mean, their schedule's backloaded. They got Auburn, 
But who's their best win? Who's their best win other than Baylor for Texas A&M? South Carolina. Yes. So it's, I mean, it's it's not true. It's not true. All right. Number five, James Franklin will still be the coach at Penn state next year. Nathan, what do you think? False. There's definitely more tea leaves to read here than like in trying to read Al Washington tea leaves. Like there's, there's things that I think you can try to grasp onto here. So you say false. So you're saying he won't be the coach at Penn state. Steven, what do you think? False, but I don't know if it's because he's going to be at USC. I think that's on the list of major city schools that he might be at. I don't know what else fits him perfectly. His family lives in Florida and Miami might fire their coach. Florida might fire its coach. Well, Florida might fire its coach. And Florida might fire its coach too. So Florida, it's it's tough. It's tough. I mean, he's been in the SEC, so he knows the mm-hmm. deal. He's at the he was at the worst SEC school, so it's different. But he at least has a grasp on that from personal experience to decide: Do I want to do that? So, so I, I think maybe Florida make would make a lot of sense for him. Um, I just think there's enough tea leaves. I, I think false is also the move here. That the idea of James Franklin. And again, not being fired, not being pushed out, but just like him sort of deciding Penn State being fine with it. It just feels like we might be heading toward that. Number six, Jim Harbaugh will be the coach of Michigan next season. True or false? What do you think, Stephen? Man, my answer on this changed from where it would have been if we did this six months ago. True. I think the way they played this year based and also the new coaching staff is giving that program some new life. What do you think, Nathan? True. They certainly seem like they are not in a hurry, right? That all the stuff at Penn state is like, well, it feels like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Like a lot of the outside stuff is like, why are you keeping this guy? Michigan's like, we're good. I don't know. Nathan, is that like that kind of the read you get there? That's part of, I'm also true. Well, and it's like, I don't know if I, uh, do you agree with it? But it feels like Michigan's pretty comfortable. I mean, it's not completely hunky dory. They, they, you know, restructured his contract in the off season for a reason. And, 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 you know, there was a, you wouldn't call it demotion, but certainly a, a pay cut involved there. That's, that's, that's true. kind of unique in college football. So it's not like they were, are, are completely oblivious to the underachievement that's been going on there with that program. At the same time, I think they, and this year, I think has brought them back to the level of, this is sort of where we see where Michigan should be swimming every year, right? Michigan should be this far into the year. They have like one loss maybe two if they've already played both Penn state and somebody else, like a really good non-conference team or something, but like, you know, getting to the end of the year where like eight or nine wins is your cap is not where you're going to be. But like when you, if they're going to win 10 regular season games this year, probably yeah. maybe only nine and, and win a bowl. I mean, it's still on the table for them to go nine and three with all that being said, because they still got Penn, sure. at Penn state and they got to play Ohio state. So it's still on yeah. the table, but it just feels different. nine and three this year. will just, for it'll just feel different because of how the front half of the season went and how they played Michigan state until they blew it. Well, but they've had seasons like this before where they start off yeah. and they kind of fall apart at the end. And the bottom line is they don't beat their rivals. So the Michigan State, if they lose to Ohio State and they lost to Michigan State and Ohio State again, that's going to be rough, but they have the Wisconsin win. They're seven in the first playoff rankings. There's enough. It would just be the same. It's not worse. It's the same of all the stuff that they've been doing, which is like a pretty good record. Didn't sort of win the games that matter most to the fan base, but you're not awful. You're good. You're competitive. You, most of the Saturdays are pretty good. And it seems like, like Nathan, like they've been, that's what they've been okay with. So, and then they did make the changes. And I do think the, the, the assistant changes provide a little hope and a little, 
optimism for the future. So I just, I don't know if they, if they didn't do it already and it didn't, they yeah. made these changes and they didn't get worse. I just think it probably, they just all stay together. I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm going to stay true. It's just, I will say it's, there were zero and eight now against top 10 big 10 opponents on the road. Not that mm. those games are easy to win. And a lot right. of those games have been Ohio state and Penn state, but still like at some point that's yeah that's what you have to get judged by at some point if you're the head coach at michigan like are you still the the team that's just like futilely nipping at the heels of the best teams in the conference or do you go on the road and win those games so now i i don't know how many times ohio state's had to go on the road and win a game against a top 10 opponent in the in the big 10 so it's not something you're asked to do a lot but again the fact that you you they you can both have success this year and feel like it was a, a step back in the right direction for Michigan, but then also potentially come to the realization that, especially like if they lose to Penn State and then get squashed at home by Ohio State, maybe that nine and three does look very much like you're back just to the plateau you were at before. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's a good point. I, I do think Penn State is really important to this. Big 10 race the rest of the year. Cause I, the, the Penn state games against Michigan state and Michigan really do matter. I think in a lot of ways, even though Penn state's out of it, cause it certainly the, the Penn state team we saw in Columbus is eminently capable of beating either of those teams. And that will matter at least a little bit. So I'm curious about that. I actually, if somebody could look up, I'm not even sure when Penn State and Michigan play. I would like to have that information because we have a question coming um, up. It is. Matters. Yeah, it's the, the, uh, next week. It's next week when Ohio State's mm-hmm. playing Purdue. Okay, that's mm-hmm. a big game. And we'll get to that in a second, why it's a big game. This is the only non-football question that I included. True or false, Chili's is better than Triangle Pizza. Shocking that this is the non-football question you included in this. Yeah. And this is, it's, I mean, it's basically, it's just like, Doug, this is your life. So Steven, what do you think? Is Chili's better than, it's a very tough comparison. Than any triangle pizza? So. And it's not a tough comparison. I I think it means, I mean, it's just like one's a restaurant, a specific restaurant that has multiple Mm. things on the menu. One is a style of food that the quality may vary from place to place. So from that standpoint, it's, it's not, I was going to say, it's not apples. It's, it's apples and oranges, or as some would say, it's Southwest egg rolls and pizza. I'm going to make that the new thing. Like what people say, like, man, that's apples and oranges. I'm just going to start saying, man, that's Southwest egg rolls and pizza. So what would you pick Steven? True or false? Chili's is better. You say, so you say false. You say false. Chili's is, Chili's is not that good, but I'm, you know, I don't want to rain on your parade because I know that's your thing. I'll yeah, rain no, on this parade. I, I, I'm, I'm confident in my, in my, I, I don't even know what my chili, my chili's fandom, we're good. Chili's and I are good. We don't care what the outside world thinks about us. Our relationship is strong. Nathan, what do you say? No, it's obviously false. Like if Thanos snapped his fingers and all the chilies in the world disappeared, my life would not change at all. It would be, oh. it would, it would, it would mean nothing. If Thanos snapped his fingers and all triangle pizza in the world disappeared, there would be a void in my life. More yeah. so than if like a lot of people disappeared, <laughs> let's be honest. Not people close to me, but just like n- people I don't know. So, yeah, it's it's clearly false. Triangle pizza. Yeah, and, and Chili's, Chili's again, Chili's and I are on enough of a wavelength that they're not going to be mad at me for this. But I'm also false because the triangle pizza is so fundamental 
triangle pizza is like in the food pyramid. Like my food pyramid, right, is just a slice of triangle pizza. Like it's that's the pyramid. Food pyramid. <laughs> at the bottom is the crust. And then you go up and at the top is that little, you know, the little greasy tip of that you bend over and you have to fold. And now so and there's enough there's enough wide ranging. And again, triangle pizza is one of those things. When it's great, it's great. But when it's good, it, you know, it's still triangle pizza. So it's still pretty good. So no offense to Chili's. All right, we'll take a quick break. We've got 13 more true and false. We'll get to those next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug back. I think I forgot some of the texters' answers previously. Jim Harbaugh, the coach of Michigan next season, 79% true by the texters. So they agreed with us. And Chili's is better than Triangle Pizza, 72% false by the texters. So they also agreed with us. So as always, the three of us on the same wavelength with our texters when it comes to Jim Harbaugh and chain restaurants. Ohio State, this is a good one. Ohio State's offense is better than Georgia's defense? I love this question. And a lot of this, some of the questions, the most interesting part is to see where the textures are on it. And to me, that's the most interesting part of this. But Nathan, what would you say, true or false, Ohio State's offense better than Georgia's defense? I would probably say false. Steven? For the moment. It's yeah, right now it's false because Georgia's defense hasn't had a bad day yet. Ohio State's offense has had two bad days against pretty important opponents. And I feel like Georgia's defense is like what is sort of defining the college football season right now. And they've only given up five touchdowns all year. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. For sure. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But sec- and second is potentially Ohio State's offense. So, yeah, as the main challenge to that defense. But I agree. Yeah. The story of this season is the Georgia defense so far. There have there's some analytics people that I follow that have been putting forward some data about the lack of quality offenses that Georgia has faced. And that when you if you really want to go through it, it's like, well, is like Tennessee the best offense they've played, like who's really tested them. And then maybe the times in the past when there have been some great defenses who weren't tested. And then when they were tested, it was like, Oh, okay, well, they're not as quite as good as we think. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a reasonable point to bring up. I don't think that means that Georgia's defense is overrated. So I'm also going to say false that Ohio state's offense is better. And I think Steven, the point you made, It's like we've seen Ohio State has some rough patches and we haven't really seen Georgia have that. And they're so deep. They aren't they aren't reliant on a single player. Right. Where just because of the nature of offense, a lot of it still comes down to CJ and just how good he is in the big moments. And he's been very good. But like Georgia doesn't have to worry about that as much because it's Mm -hmm. they play five linebackers. They play three defensive tackles they play four defensive ends they play six guys in the secondary and even when guys have been out there's so many of them that they're fine nathan what do you think the texters said ohio state's offense is better than georgia's defense do you think the texters said true or false i think before the penn state game they would have said true i think they probably narrowly said false what do you I think agree. Steven? yeah i agree not that narrowly 64 hmm. percent false 36% true. So that's a little bit of a nod to a bunch of Ohio State fans 
having what I think is a fair, realistic view of college football at the moment. I just looked at the PFF grades for the season, Ohio State. Um, I'm sorry. Georgia's defense for the season, 95.7. Ohio State's offense for the season, 95.1. Wow. And they, they, yeah, these two got to meet the national championship. Ohio game. State's just... the only offense that you could even ask that about. It would be like mm-hmm. Georgia's de- like, uh, you know, Oregon's offense better than Georgia's defense. And every Oregon fan would be like, what are you talking about? Even like Oklahoma's and, offense. I don't think Oklahoma fans would be like, oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Oklahoma's offense. Like you couldn't ask it about anybody else. And, and here's why we always tell people uh, pump the brakes on the PFF grades. Because Ohio State's number one. Oklahoma is number two. You know who number three is? Offensive grade for the season. Michigan. It is a Big Ten team. It is not Michigan. Who is it? Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the, they've impressed the committee really by annoying. all their running backs getting yeah. hurt. Yeah. They have impressively lost players. What a great job losing great players by Minnesota. And they're on, and they're on a four-game winning streak. Number nine. This is complicated, but it's a good question. Ohio State had two major scandals in the past decade, Tattoogate and the Zach Smith situation. The former led to Urban Meyer as head coach, the latter to Ryan Day in the same position, and Brian Hartline as wide receivers coach. Had these scandals not occurred, Ohio State would not be the national power it is today. They needed to scan the scandals to lead to Urban Meyer and Ryan Day that has made them a national power. True or false, Stephen? True. I still think at some point Brian Hartline would have been here because I think Jim Trestle would have hired him as his former player, but everything else, yeah, true. They would not be a national power because they need – they needed to move off a of trestle somehow, and it just ended up not being the most clean way to do it. What do you think, Nathan? I think it's true. I think they would just be much closer to the level of Michigan slash Penn State slash Wisconsin. There would be less separation for who the best team in the Big Ten is. So the texters said true also, 58% to 42%. So I'm going to say false because it did happen, right? Urban Meyer and then Ryan Day, especially Urban Meyer with his recruiting, but then Ryan Day with his offensive philosophy has been crucial to this. But I don't think, I think they might've gotten, I think they had a decent chance of getting here anyway. Because I don't think Trestle, Trestle coached 10 years without Tattoo Gate. I don't think Trestle coaches for another 10. And I do think I can imagine a world where that next hire, they had to hire under duress and got Urban. Miracle dropped from the skies. So if they had hired Bo Pelini or Luke in that situation, they wouldn't have been as good. But if they did not have to hire under duress, and if Gene had said, okay, Trestle's been great, but let's go. Let's, let's do, let's push it. Let's hire somebody who is going to push national recruiting. Let's hire somebody who is more dynamic offensively, right? Not a, not a criticism of Jim Trestle. I think it's still Ohio State. And, you know, they wouldn't have hired Paul Christ, right? They wouldn't have been, you know, I, they might have hired James Franklin, frankly. That might have been a hire. But also, I think James Franklin at Ohio State would be more successful than he's been at Penn State because you'd be able to recruit better. If you had said, like, hey, who are you hiring? 
not under duress. Jim Trestle is leaving of his own accord. Jim Trestle has announced this is his last year. And now we're going to get ready. And we're going to get ready and have a whole year to do a comprehensive search. Here's who we hired. We hired this SEC coach from Vanderbilt who's dynamic, runs a good program, has Big Ten ties, and James Franklin is the next head coach of Ohio State. I think James Franklin would have tried to recruit nationally. I think James Franklin like would have done some things. And I know it's like hitting people's ears and they're screaming. I get it because Ohio State fans hate James Franklin. But you just hate him because he's a Penn State coach. You don't hate him personally. He's not, by definition, a horrible coach. And I know people think he just makes bad in-game decisions and that kind of thing. Ohio State gives you so many resources. A lot of different kinds of coaches have a chance to be successful. I think they could have wound up with Lincoln Riley. You know, I think they could have wound up with, you know, there's a, I think there's ways they could have gotten here. Urban is the most important because it created the national recruiting. I think you could have found an offensive guru and you could have prioritized that. Nobody could have pushed the national recruiting as much as Urban, but I also think it's possible you would have gotten Urban anyway. Because I think the scenario where like, you know what, Urban does TV not for one year, but for three or four or whatever, and the Ohio State's kind of like, hey, by the way, Trestle, we're getting ready to make a change. You know, Trestle's going to ease into a professorship. Don't do any, don't take a job without talking to us first, because we think you're going to be our coach in two years. I think that's on the table. Yes, they needed to take the next step. I don't think it had to be the way it went down, which is why I'll say false. I'll agree with the idea. It probably didn't. I mean, it never has to be a scandal. I don't know if there's any situation where it's like, yes, it needs to be a scandal, but I do think it had the next coach had to be urban. Because it, the national recruiting, but also it's just like the aura around him that allowed that to get started immediately. There wasn't like a buildup to it where it gradually got better and better every single year with the national recruiting. And I think with Lincoln Riley or James Franklin or whoever, it had just been gradual and it maybe would have taken a little bit more time. So where they're at right now, maybe they're not there until 2025 because they're still in the gradual stages. They needed to get there immediately. And Urban got here and it was immediate and they needed that. Well, they needed it because the program was in disarray. If they had no disarray and they, they were coming off like good Terrell Pryor, right? They're coming off. I mean, listen, Trestle's 2008 class, Pryor's from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. J.B. Shugart's is from Texas. You know, Devere Posey, he's an Ohio guy. And Mike Adams is Ohio, an Ohio guy. And Jake Stoneburner's an Ohio guy. But they had, they had gone out. They were getting, you know, they had a really good class. They had a really good class that year. And they had reached out a couple places. They were a little more strategic. I mean, I, the reason that I think we feel like it had to be urban was because there was a dark cloud. If it's just normal, if he's just winning, Trestle's winning at a really high level. He's dominating the conference. They're trying to push him to recruit nationally a little bit more. And then the next guy comes in and, and pushes a little bit more. Urban's rare. Urban's rare from a recruiting standpoint, of course. But I don't know. I don't know. I think Brian Kelly might've done a version of it, you know, not as good, but the idea of like, would they be a national power if Brian Kelly was a coach? Well, I don't know. I mean, is Notre Dame a national power? They've been in the playoff twice. Would they be as good as Ohio state is right now? Probably not. Would they be 92% of it? Like in, in the discussion of national power, I think there are multiple paths where they still could have been that. All right. That's probably a separate offseason podcast. Number 10, Ohio state will beat Michigan state and Michigan combined by more 
then they're going to beat Nebraska and Purdue combined. True or false, Nathan? False. Steven? This is not an easy false because the way this team likes to take its foot off the gas in the second half, but I'll say false. The textures also say false, 83%. I think false also. I think it's it. That's this is based on no matter how good Michigan is, Ohio State's going to stomp them, right? That, hey, we mm-hmm. remember last time people thought Michigan was better and Ohio State won by 40. Why wouldn't that happen again? Combined with what you said, Stephen, which is like, well, they could beat Purdue and Nebraska by 40, but maybe they won't try to. I do think Michigan's better than that. That it, They're not basing this – a lot kind of, of times in the past, heart. in the recent past, yeah. but well, if Don Brown was there, is also voting with your brain. Maybe if Don like Brown his, was there, they might put up seventy on Michigan. Is is Ryan Day going to slice up Don Brown again? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's you could just see that with your eyeballs. Mike McDonald, I think, has a better chance, right? And then they have enough that they do offensively that seems to work. That if they run the ball, they control the clock, they throw the you know a little bit effectively. I, I think they're less a get blown off the field because they're playing man coverage, and then when they get to put their offense on the field, like Shea Patterson's running around and he doesn't know what to do, and and none of it works. Right, your offense is non-functional at a time when your defensive scheme is getting torn apart, and you can't stop the snowball. I think Michigan, both defensively and offensively, has a significantly lower chance of getting snowballed against Ohio state right now. doesn't mean I think they're going to win, but I think there's less likely they'll get blown out. And I think Michigan state's pretty legit. So, and also I think they're going to blow the doors off Nebraska, which we'll talk about on the game preview pod on Friday. It, to me, it also just kind of comes down to some game control things. Whereas like, I don't know if Nebraska and Purdue can move the ball against Ohio state. I know that Michigan and Michigan state can in stretches. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they've proven themselves enough to be good offensively. So then it just comes down to possessions. Like which yeah. team is that? Which which teams are you going to have more possessions, more chances to score against? Eighty three percent also from the Texas said false. Number eleven, Ryan Day gets more conservative with play calling in big games. Nathan, what do you think? True or false? True. I think he gets more conservative when they're ahead in big games. I think that's right because I think also in college football, when you have talent, conservative in the minds, I think, and to the ears of most fans automatically means bad when that's not actually true. Cause show me the game where Ohio state has a 21 point lead and keeps chucking it around and throws two picks and the team, the opponent gets back mm-hmm. in the game and people be like, why weren't you more conservative? Right. But you automatically assume conservative is bad. Steven, what do you think? True or false? False minus the Penn state game this past weekend. He's well, pretty but I think last year's Penn State game was an example, too. His first play was a jet sweep to Garrett Wilson for 61 yards. But what I, what did I say? When they're up in the second half, what did they do? They just ran the ball. Down oh, the well, I mean, yeah, but that's like conservative just because that's good. But that's not even conservative. That's just playing smart football. I think we've had this conversation before. That's playing smart football. I wouldn't even classify that as conservative. He's aggressive when it's zero to zero and you need to be aggressive. That's not – that's just football. I, I when think- I think conservative, I would just mean – you know, from the get-go, he's just calling vanilla plays, and that's what he did on Saturday. He's not always calling vanilla plays throughout the game most of the time. Like Indiana last year, too, right? Like you let him back in the game, but actually they started right. back in the game because like Justin threw pick in the second half, right? That yeah. was one of the things. Well, that's not being conservative, but just like not executing. So I, I do understand, but I, like to your point, Stephen, I know what you're saying, but I think some fans would disagree with that. 
that that they still would view it as if you buttoned it down in the second half with the lead, that might just be good football. But I think some fans would say, well, that's conservative. And like, I don't love it. Keep your foot on the gas. Right. So. And also, I guess like, I mean, like a jet sweep to me is not like, is that not, is that aggressive in some ways? I mean, like, I don't know. I don't think of that as like being the opposite of conservative. Yeah. Again, conservative means running and, and not conservative means throwing. And is that exactly Right. People want video right. game scores in real life, and that's not reality. Well, but it's a real. The problem is, is that it's reality enough at Ohio State that it's like, yeah. hey, it's not video game scores. It's like, well, they scored sixty six against Maryland. What do you mean it's not video game scores? Yeah, when they scored the forty five of it in the first. That's the thing. This is yeah. It's all context. It's like yeah, we had sixty six. You scored forty of it in the first half, and you also. But you are more conservative when a defense is more likely to make you pay for a mistake. Right. It's like, well, yeah. hey, we played Maryland or Rutgers, or whatever. And like, man, we were on the wrong route and we missed a blocking assignment. And like, it didn't matter because they weren't good enough to make us pay. But, you know, you play Penn State and they get the blocking assignment confused and you give up a sack or, or Trayvon yeah. Henderson gets tackled mm-hmm. in the backfield. I think that's a good like how many sacks did they take against Penn State the other night with all of the offensive line issues that they were having and all of the, the stuff that Penn State was doing at that front? How many sacks did C.J. Stroud take? Nine. No, I don't know how many was zero. Zero for real. Zero. zero. He's not getting sacked a lot at all and, this year. And again, like by the way, when they needed it, and they didn't do it a ton with that play action, they dialed up that play action mm-hmm. from with nine with you know like nine Penn State guys in the box. They dial up play action and hit a deep ball to Olave for a touchdown. So they didn't do that eleven times, but they didn't just run Trevion Henderson into a nine man box on that play. They were like, okay, well they're doing something. We'll take a shot. And it worked. And they were going for it on fourth downs in the red zone when they could have just taken the points. Now they did punt a couple times early in the game when I thought maybe they would go for it. There was the one where I think they were like the 38. It was, it was mm-hmm. a longer fourth down, but they, I, that's a place on the field where I thought maybe Ohio state with its offense and its receivers and its quarterback, maybe they think of that as four down territory and instead they punted and then that's i think that's the drive where penn state went 89 yards the other way off of that yeah i think that was <laughs> i think part of that pun is he wasn't sure how healthy sean clifford was just like the rest of us and then sean clifford showed us how healthy he was and then after that he got pretty aggressive with the fourth down calls yeah all right so i'll say true i guess but like not necessarily in a negative way that it's like, well, I think sometimes you do have to be a little more conservative in big games because as long as you still have a talent edge, I do think so. if the talent is equal, I don't think Ohio state can be conservative against Georgia or Alabama or Clemson, but I do think Ohio state can be quote conservative against Penn state. Cause no, how, no matter how good Penn state is, Ohio state still has more talent. And when, when they tore Clemson apart in the semifinal last year, no one thought they were conservative. They went out and took it to Brent Venable's defense, right? I mean, that was oh, – yeah. they, didn't, they didn't back down from that at all. So the idea of, like, big games, it's like, what do you mean? Because anything in the Big Ten, no matter how big of a game it is, Ohio State's still a better team. So if you play it a little more conservative and don't make mistakes, you really, 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 really have a good chance to win. But then when you get out there in the world where they have as many five stars as you do, you've got to let it go a little bit or you're going to lose. And I I think he does let it go when he needs to. All right. 
12. Ohio State will show up in Ann Arbor. This is why I wanted the Penn State-Michigan game. Ohio State will show up in Ann Arbor on November 27th, having already clinched the Big Ten East. So here's what would have to happen for them to have already clinched the Big Ten East. It would have to be that, that Ohio State wins its next three games and Michigan loses at least once in the next three games. Because if they both keep winning, then Michigan will have one loss and Ohio State will have zero losses in the Big Ten. And if Michigan wins, then now the question is that creates would create if if Michigan State doesn't lose, that would create a three-way tie at seven and one. Well, everybody would have beaten everybody else one time. And then I actually don't know what the tiebreaker is. So I, I don't do know, know that. I've seen that. I'm trying to think if it's I think the first tiebreaker there. I mean, because then everybody will have played the same teams within the division it, it may be one of those things that comes down to common opponents outside the division if there are any or or what your record common is. opponents what but they would have the same record the only thing that they would all have no, i'm saying outside the outside the division like if there were conference, but they would have beaten they, them all there's no difference yeah, that's true they only have one loss to each other in the group so they're right, all eight, my, they're all eight and one in the big 10 and their losses are to the other part of the threesome i think all though, one that and it, one but then I think there's an hierarchy. You start going down by highest ranked team in the standings that they've played. You know what I mean? And then so like because Ohio State, it would. I'm trying to think of who's. Well, played if we're who. guessing, let's not guess. Let's either say we don't know or look it up. But that's the thing that we don't. That's at the moment we don't know that. So, but my my guess would be. I think the person asking this question is thinking about is Ohio State going to win its next three games and Michigan's going to lose to somebody, which sets up a chance where that game is doesn't matter for the Big Ten championship game. I'm going to say false, that, that Ohio State will not have clinched the East by the time they go to Ann Arbor, based on the fact that I, my guess would be, I definitely think Penn State could beat Michigan. I really, 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 really think they could. But I'm not at the point where I'm going to say that they will. So I'll say false. Stephen, what do you think? True. I think Penn State wins just because it's at Penn State. And, yeah. I don't think it'll be a night game because it's in November. But still. Uh, Nathan, what do you think? I'm going to say true. You think Michigan's going to lose also? I think Michigan – is going to lose. And I think Michigan, it won't matter because Ohio State will beat Michigan State head to head, but I could also see yeah. them having two losses. See Michigan State having yeah. two losses. So you think Penn State could beat Michigan State also? Yeah, but that game happens at the end of the season. That would be the same yeah, week that's as the last. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I think, okay. but I think Purdue could beat Michigan State. I, that would not shock me at all. You still don't believe in Michigan State. I like Michigan State. I, like I believe Michigan in State. them, though. I don't know. Um, True is 66% of the Texas also. So that's you guys are both true. The Texas are true that you think Ohio State will have already clinched the Big Ten East by the time we get to Ann Arbor. That, that's a good one that we can check. Let's remember this one. We can check that before that game. All right, let's go a little faster, finish these up. Ryan Day will hire a new defensive coordinator next year. True or false? Nathan. R Ryan Day will hire a new defensive coordinator? Like Matt Barnes won't be, or Matt Barnes or Kerry Combs oh, okay. won't be the defensive coordinator. Uh, it won't be Kerry Combs. I'm going to say 
if promoting Matt Barnes to defensive coordinator means false, I guess I will say false. Matt Barnes is a defensive coordinator right now. So Matt Barnes is right. a defensive coordinator. Will it be somebody new? You say false because you think it'll be Matt Barnes. I think this, this has been the Ryan Day MO is to promote from within and promote who he knows and, and hire who he knows. So I guess I, I, it's my assumption until he breaks that trend. What do you think, Stephen? I'm going to say false as well, just because, yeah, Matt's got the job right now and he's not going to lose Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes in the same offseason. It just doesn't seem like something he'd want to do. You think Matt Barnes leaves if he's not made the full-time defensive coordinator? I don't know if he wants to go back to doing what he was doing after calling plays, especially if this team ends up winning a national title or just reaches the national championship game. Uh, I think it's an interesting assessment for Ryan Day because I think you have to, I think you need a new infusion of brain into the defense. I don't know what word to use there, like a new perspective. You need a new perspective injected into this defense. And I think it would be smart if it came from with, from outside the circle. So can you get that level of you can get that brain by just making them a position coach or do you need to go out and get a big brain to come in and be the defensive coordinator? Somebody you really can hand things over to and say, this needs a new direction. I want you to build it. Yeah, no, it's interesting because like, again, that would require. Well, I mean, like you could you could somehow if, if somehow Kerry wanted to stay and Matt Barnes stayed, you could just bump back Parker Fleming and be like, we got to hire a defense coordinator with your spot, right? You figure something out. Um, I'm going to say true. The texters say true at 70%. That might be a little overly hopeful though, Nathan, based on what you said of Ryan Day's track record, the track record would be, he takes the comfortable hire that's in the building and stays with Matt Barnes. I'm going to believe that defensive coordinator is important enough that they don't do that. Can I give you the answer to the, what I believe is the answer to the big 10 tiebreaker question. Yes. Cause it, it, I'm going by last year's, which they released new ones last year because of the unbalanced schedule. And all of them are about per, winning percentages against teams. They've played until you get all the way down to the fifth tiebreaker, which is the records of three or more tie teams will be compared based on the best cumulative conference winning percentage of non-divisional opponents. So the non-conference opponents that that team played, what is their record and whoever had the best record would then whoever had to play the toughest non-divisional mm. schedule in other words not not, not non-conference i said non-conference i meant non-divisional so whoever had to play and i'm thinking like now like michigan had to play wisconsin wisconsin michigan state has played well it played purdue I don't know. I think it probably does not work out in Ohio But that tiebreaker, that tiebreaker is before college football playoff ranking. I believe so. Yes. I don't, I think that was introduced just last year. I think that had to do only with the, I think that was impl implemented last year only for the non, um, the unbalanced schedule. Okay. All right. I mean, I know conferences have sort of used the, the college football playoff rankings as a well, if sort of our conversation about this is we want the team most likely to make the playoff in our championship game, then we'll just go by the playoff rankings. Right. I think that's that's not it's like you're sort of giving up the power, but I don't think that's a terrible thing to do when all the stuff within your own conference is just tied, 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 tied. And it's like so we're going to have it come down to whether. Minnesota beats Wisconsin determines whether who has a better winning percentage between Ohio state and Michigan. And that's who gets to go to the big 10 championship game. I think actually college football playoff ranking makes more sense there. So 
it's complicated. Boy, if we get to that, we will tell you exactly what the deal is. Don't get your head twisted up trying to figure out tiebreakers that may not come into play. We'll make sure if it matters, if, if Michigan and Ohio State both went out going to Ann Arbor, we'll let you know what the deal is. All right. We have a huge one for number 14, and then we're going to go quick on the final six. But get ready for a Quinn Ewers question next on Buckeye Talk. for the chance to ask us questions like this. Quinn Ewers will transfer ultimately. Ultimately. So I don't think this has to be, well, I think he's going to start three years and then transfer in his fourth year because Jaden Davis is going to be here. And he's going to like, I don't think that's how we're, we're talking about whatever. Like, is he going to at some point, not this off season, necessarily for sure, you know, but just maybe not win the job or not win the job fast enough that it's just like, Hey, he's too good to be here. And he's been here a little bit and he hasn't won the job yet. Cause the other guys here are really good too. And he ends up transferring. I will tell you that the texters said false 69% false that he will transfer. Ultimately. I think in a world where CJ's playing like this. That's a, I'm surprised that it's that strong of a no, that 69% are like, no, no, no. Why, why would, like, why would the five star who's currently behind the guy who people think is a Heisman candidate? Oh, no, he's definitely not going to transfer. It's like, okay, I don't know. Uh, Steven, what would be your vote here? False. And the way CJ's playing is why him being here is so annoying. False. I mean, he's not here to play football all that stuff we always say, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then you just sit behind CJ for a year, which was always on the table before he showed up. And then he takes over in 2023. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, I I say false. Also, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty strongly false. I think Um, just like Steven says, it's, it's kind of like if you were at a company on an unpaid internship in college and you get mad because they don't promote you to like middle management right off the bat or something like that. Like, I don't know. It's a bad analogy, but like he, he's kind of sort of here just like to hang out for this year. He's not here to really be that involved yeah. in the football thing. And, and the, the clock for him hasn't changed. We thought all along that he was going to come in next spring and compete for the job next spring, but no guarantee he would win it either based on whether where he was at in his career or where CJ Stroud and or Kyle McCord and or Jack Miller were in their careers at that point. So it might've involved him having to sit that first year, be the backup his first year, however you want to look at it. I, the clock hasn't changed for me really. This, this spring just doesn't feel like now or never like it is with Kyle McCord. Okay. So that's three falses from you. I guess I'll say false also, but it's my false is not as strong as your falses are because this smooth transition of CJ's good this year, CJ's good in 22, and then you think he got you guys think he goes pro? Yeah. And then Quinn Maybe. takes over in 23. Mm-hmm. I don't think Quinn's waiting till 24 to play. That's probably no, true. no, 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 no. I, I think and, it's totally CJ's a two year starter and he's out of here. That's completely what mine is based off. But and all due respect, and I don't what, know that that is a sure thing. And all due respect to what CJ Stroud is doing right now, but 
Ryan Day thinks whoever his starting quarterback is should be a Heisman Trophy candidate, and that's right. played out so far. So I, there's there's a percentage that you have to reserve for Quinn Ewers just winning this job next spring and being the Heisman Trophy candidate next year. No, for sure, for sure, right. But I just I do think there's still a lot of there's still a lot of twists and turns. I think ahead. I, I don't know that the ultimately most the smoothest scenario of CJ is the starter in 21 and 22 and Quinn takes over in 23. That still thinks I still feel like there could be um, bumps on the road to that. So, all right. That's a pretty strong false uh, from the Texas and from you two. Number 15, if Ohio state, Cincinnati and Oklahoma all win out, Ohio state gets in above both of them. True or false. Steven, what do you say? True. And the committee showed us that on Tuesday. Nathan? Definitely true of Cincinnati. Probably true of Oklahoma, just simply because of where those two teams are relative right now. Yeah, that Ohio State's ahead right now, and Oklahoma still has its best games ahead, but no game that Oklahoma has left is better than either of the two games that Ohio State has left. The so way we look to, at it right now, that's true. You would yes. have to decide that Oklahoma beating Baylor, Oklahoma State, and then either Oklahoma State or Baylor again is better than beating Michigan State, Michigan, and Wisconsin or Minnesota by enough of a degree to have Oklahoma catch Ohio State. So I think it is practically 100% true. And the texters say 87% true. Number 16, Corey Dennis will be allowed to speak to the media this year. It's my favorite one. Ohio State quarterbacks coach. <laughs> False is 72% from the texters. 72% false. Nathan, what do you think? True. <laughs> what do you think, Stephen? <laughs> Allowed is such a great word here. True, because we do get a bull week. So in well, Dallas, we'll all talk to him. That's like four. I, I, at some point, if CJ Stroud keeps playing well, I think Corey Dennis will be out here for a victory lap. Yeah, right. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, That's, that's what I uh, think that that i'm surprised that hasn't know. happened already like why wouldn't you do it like one of these weeks where you think you're going to win by a bunch anyway like if they stomp nebraska on saturday we could get Corey dennis next week yeah here's what no here's the real question does the big 10 get him for one of those big 10 the journey pieces before we talk to him again what is Corey dennis's jur- journey though no, it's just so he could talk about CJ's. It's, oh. it's a short. It's a short episode. Oh, okay. I don't. Care. Yeah, because they had they, they had Tony they had Tony Offred and Travion, so you know. Yeah. The inspiring journey, the inspiring journey of a young man with a dream, and then he just like married the daughter of a famous coach and got a job. The Corey Dennis story <laughs> on the journey next week. It's like, this will be narrated by Christian Bale from Batman. <laughs> I'm bad. So I've all, I've wanted to have a whisper talk conversation at some point because this is not the time to do it. There's never a time to do it. Whisper talking people, the, the actors and the singers, the whisper talk thing. I would like to do a whisper talk Buckeye talk sometime where we don't have to all do our Batman voice, but the whole time we dramatically talk in a whisper and give our answers and see what people would do. Just like an hour and a half of whisper talk. We'll put that on the list for the off season. Number 17, the majority of the playoff committee members would take Michigan State to beat Ohio State in a head-to-head matchup right now. Nathan, what do you think? True or false? Would take Ohio State to beat Michigan State? Would take Michigan State to beat Ohio State. Oh, so false. Steven? 
Yeah, false. If Ohio State was under undefeated right now, they'd be number two in those rankings. Yeah, I also say false. And like, I think that's okay. And that's not what this is designed to be right now. And they're going to play. So like, it doesn't, like, if you're on the committee, it's like, well, I'll do this. And then like, well, who do you think would win on the neutral field? It's like, I don't know. They're going to play. We'll figure it out. So like, I'm not going to get bent out of shape about it. But I do, that's not what the rankings right now mean. So I do think they would, they would say Ohio State. Number 18, Chris Olave is the third best receiver on the team. True or false, Stephen? Raw talent, true. And he might not even be third. So raw talent was not in the question. Not you the question. put you yeah. put raw talent in there. What the texter wrote was Chris Olave is the third best receiver on the team. You can throw in other adjectives like yeah. like is the third best receiver at picking Halloween costumes. No, I'd say he's ninth. All right. Well, that's not what the question is. So okay. if still you want to take it to be raw talent, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. But you still say it's true. I think it's true. Here's how I would assess this question. If you're playing a game with playing against one team that has a great cornerback and Garrett Wilson um, uh, tweaks a little calf muscle, has to come out of the game, who are they assigning that defensive back to cover? It's Chris Olave. So I don't think he can be lower than two on the who this team's best receiver is. So I, would- I don't know if... <laughs> I think that's an oversimplification, not, though. Well, but of, let's of let's also not as much as and I've been the one who's saying like, man, Jackson Smith and Jigba has really impressed me. Like he's gone, he's done, he's been a bigger part of this offense than I expected. But why does he sometimes say such a big part of this offense is because of the attention that gets paid to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I I would say if you think of it as if you had like a pretty good offense, right, a pretty good team that had average receivers and you would take you had three teams like that. And you would take the three Ohio state receivers and put them on each team individually. Would Chris Olave look like the third best receiver in that scenario where each team has a good offensive line, a decent run game, a quarterback who can get them the ball, who, who would be the best receivers. Right. And it's, um, I, I think Olave would be higher than third because I think at the moment, the thing that he does best is not the thing that this offense does best. And it's not the thing that CJ Stroud does best. And that he as a deep ball threat, I think is legit, legit, legit. And that's just not exactly what they're doing right now, but he also, I think can do everything else. And I'm not sure that Jackson right now can do everything else to the same extent. And the slot at Ohio State opens up a lot, a lot of stuff for guys. They use it really effectively, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is playing at a really high level. Like Jackson catches that little pass in the middle of the field, breaks one tackle, and goes for 58 yards because the other two linebackers are blitzing. I think Chris would do that too. But that's not like the Chris isn't really running those routes right now, and CJ's taking some of those, you know, and the, and the pass over the middle is to Jackson against um, – whoever it was two weeks ago when everybody went crazy. Right. I mean, like against Indiana, right? Like that's, that happens to be Jackson. Cause that's the route that Jackson's running and they're not running as much as the stuff that is Chris's expertise. So I think Chris is a complete receiver, great body control, fast, good hands. I, I still would say that he's 
I, I think you could have a Chris and Garrett conversation. I just think based on the totality of the body of work and where they are as a player with skill plus experience plus know-how plus all that stuff, I'd put Olave higher than third. So I'd say false. And the texters said false 83%. It sounds like you're still true because, I mean, I, I didn't know if you, you were squinching up your face. I didn't know if you were going to say. I'm just trying thing. to think. I, I I agree, but it's also like, why don't they use him that way then? Because this new what CJ st- does best. No, I'm not saying the deep ball stuff. It's they still find ways to get Garrett the ball, even if it's not always a deep ball. With Chris Olave, it's like play action deep ball for a touchdown or bust when he showed us in the Minnesota game, it doesn't have to be that way, but they don't consistently rely on him that way. The same way they do Garrett at the other outside spot. Now, some of that might just be Garrett's on the backside. He's, you know, one-on-one coverage all the time. So that's some of that context, but they don't use, if we were saying Chris Olave is a complete receiver, we all believe that, but Ohio state rarely has ever used him as that, that this year, which is part of the reason why he disappears. All right, you can stay on. You can stay on Olave as the third best receiver island. That might be. I'm not saying might, it like you it's, just said it. You just I'm not saying it. right, but I'm not saying it like he's like there's some significant gap in between him and where Jackson no, and Garrett I didn't say are. There's a significant gap. I just saying that you can stand on. It's true that Chris Olave is the third best receiver. That's okay. fine. I, it, uh, that's it's fine. Um, red helmets would have made the scarlet uniform. Oh, the texture said false. Eighty three percent. Chris Olave, the third best receiver. And you might be right. I mean, like Jeff Jackson Smith, the Jigba is like the best receiver in college football last year that everybody's been saying, you know what? I think he was their second best receiver last year. And people didn't realize it. That actually, that definitely could happen. Number 19, red helmets would have made the scarlet uniforms even better. Steven, did you want red helmets with the all scarlet out last Saturday? No, no. Mm -mm. I think that would have been a bridge too far. Nathan, Scarlet helmets. I'll say true. I mean, as I've as I've stated, I I don't care about the uniforms. And if you're gonna like go away from tradition and go to this like you know this funky stuff, then uh, go all out. Now you're just sabotaging the uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. No. What if they made everybody paint their face red? That would have been fine. Why not? You know what would have been cool though. So um, there's a school in Florida. The school that Shamar Stewart goes to. I can't remember the name of it right now. But they have these face masks that are scarlet. That would have been mm. interesting. You keep the helmet, but you let them wear the scarlet. Uh, no, it's the, the scarlet visor, not oh, the scarlet face scarlet mask. Face that would have been visor. that would have been yeah. interesting. Oh, that would have been good. That might have been good. Yeah. I think a, an actual scarlet helmet would have been would have been too much. Sixty five percent false. So people not wanting two to one, not wanting the scarlet helmet. Last one. Ohio State will have three. 1,000 yard receivers this season. I did the math on this. We are eight games in. If you project a 14 game season for Ohio State, which would be Big Ten championship game and then a bowl or Big Ten championship game and then a semifinal. Of course, if they play the national championship game, that would be a 15 game season. A 14 game season, Garrett Wilson would wind up with 1,202 receiving yards. Jackson Smith and Jigba would wind up with 1,134. And Chris Olave would wind up with 984. So Olave is slightly under right now, but we have to remember that although Chris Olave has played eight games, he had a game where he had no catches. 
So all his stats are in seven. So he's averaging 70.3 yards per game with one of the games being a zero. So the idea that he can find those lost 16 yards somewhere and get to a thousand himself is not a difficult thing to imagine. Nathan, what do you think in the end? Will it be three 1000 yard guys? I'll say true because in a lobby is a good example of this. Like all three of these receivers are always one game away from a game that really gooses that average. You know what I mean? Every, every, all three of these receivers could have a 140, 160 yard day that then resets the average. I actually did a post a few weeks ago about the, the, the progress towards 3000 yard guys. I need to do one that updates that. Steven, what do you think? True. And I think the way it breaks down is Jackson's just going to gradually get there because he's in the slot and he's been six catches, 90 yards every game lately. Garrett's going to Garrett. And then Chris is eventually going to have that 150 yard game. It's going to be a couple of them and it's probably going to be postseason. The thing that's hard is that it's something that's cool enough that I could see them kind of like prioritizing it that, Hey, we don't want it to be that. (laughs) You know, two guys got to a thousand and the other guy got to 989. And it's like, we, we could have thrown him an 11 yard out. We want to have it be a cool thing. Like I could see them doing that, except you'd have to be trying to do the cool thing, like in a playoff semifinal, yeah. <laughs> right. Or a, in a national championship game. But I you think you can front load it now though, in this game. And then the Purdue game, if you know, you're going to win, you almost purposely get guys their stats in the first in the, in the name of aggressiveness cj throws the ball 30 plus times in the first half in the next next two weeks before he gets competitive yeah. again i mean it's one of those things if like jerry has to tell ryan day coach the math says let chris mm-hmm. get 189 receiving yards against purdue and you know that that would make sense but that's hard to do four games early so yeah. i think it's cool enough to push for if you can but actually it, like if it was nfl regular season and we were doing regular season stats and it was like oh why is chris olave in game 17 when it doesn't matter it's like oh they're trying to get him 12 receiving yards so they can get the three 1000 receiver yard thing and be like oh no that's cool that's worth doing throw him two eight yard outs and tell him to step out of bounds and get him out of the game but it's worth doing you just can't do that in college football all right that's all our buckeye talk true and false we did 20 we've got another 290 in the hopper so we can go through those i do think it's an interesting way to sort of get us to hit on a bunch of topics um and keep the conversation moving a little bit so that was that was cool and i think well no i know we will definitely do that again and we will gather up all the great questions that everybody sent on the tech subscription that we did not get to again if you want to subscribe and get to do that at 614-350-3315 College football playoff show. Uh, Shahan and I had a big discussion about everything that went on. That might show up in this feed as a little bonus tease for you guys. So don't freak out if you do see that. That might happen once just to give you a taste, maybe. So just a little bit of alert. If you happen to see a playoff show, be a one-time thing um, to uh, force you to listen to it. (laughs) What's your strategy for the new show? It's a force people to listen to it. Is it to entice them with interesting anic- – no, 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 no. It's just forcing. It's all forcing. Yeah. No, if they don't even – we're going to – I'm going to go to their houses and put the headphones on their ears and make them listen to the show. All right. Thanks to you guys for making Buckeye Talk part of your week. We'll be back on Friday with the preview of Nebraska. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.